Welcome to the podcast from Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. It is a wonder, wonderful privilege to be here um, speaking today. When Tim contacted me, uh, it was during the September holidays. We were away on holidays and he rang and left a message and said, I um, want to know if you would be interested in speaking grandparents' day, but I know you're away on holidays. Contact me later. Well, we rang him straight back and said yes. Um, we also discussed football. Um, it was just before the grand final and he asked me which team I was going for and I said, obviously, West Coast Eagles. I've got all my teeth. I can't support Collingwood. Um, so, yeah, we love talking about football. Uh, Grandparents' Day, and Scripture's got a couple of great passages. Tim's already read one, but in Proverbs 16, 11, it says, Grey hair is a crown of splendour. It is attained in the way of righteousness. Eugene Peterson in the message says, Grey hair is a mark of distinction. I really like that one. And that um, the award for a God-loyal life. And the passage that Tim read said, Proverbs 17, 6, children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. And, and the point of this is saying is that grandchildren are like a jewel, a gem, something precious that grandparents can display like strings of pearls around their neck. Nerily and I became uh, active grandparents 322 days ago. And uh, so that is... Uh, 10 months, 18 days, in a few hours' time. Uh, 10th of December, Zachariah Rodney Taylor was born, and there's some photos of him. Um, and uh, one coming up with, his, with, oh, with the grandparents. We couldn't nurse him for the first 24 hours because he was in a humidity crib. And uh, that's with his dad, which is really special because his dad does photography, so you don't get often those sort of pictures. And uh, with his mum, and then... Uh, in his bath, I've got to tell you, he's a bit determined and strong-willed like his mother and his grandfather. Um, his granddad's a bit like that where he doesn't want to sit down in the bath sometimes. He wants to stand up and you get a bit of a battle with him about that. And then that's engaging with his grandma. Now, unlike, unlike the uh, 8 o'clock service, um, he's actually here. All right, because we attend the 10 o'clock service and we sit over here in the kids' corner. And so for any of the parents who are over there, I keep telling them, don't be hassled about the noise, it's great. All right? um, and uh, Zach is here. I've got to put my hat on as well. So, Nerily, come on, bring Zach up here. Um, Zach is a regular at Gateway Logan. Okay. Hey, buddy, look at all these people. Hey. You're going to say g'day and give me a smile, hey? You're going to look up there. Granny's still here, yeah, yeah. Mum and Dad are up there. You can give them a wave, okay? What do you reckon? Pretty good? Um, The hat's really important, and uh, I'll leave it on just for a moment. Paul writing to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says to Timothy, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. And so there's this sense of legacy that Paul is acknowledging that there's this legacy for Timothy, that this legacy goes beyond his mother but his grandmother. And we don't know any much about them. They're not mentioned in the Bible a lot, but there's a legacy. 
And one of the things that's really important for me is leaving a legacy uh, for my, my kids and my grandkids. So consequently, um, the hat is part of the legacy. But also as part of the legacy is I wear Doc Martin shoes. You know the ones with the yellow stitching around? These are my work shoes. So only worn for work. Now, really good friend of mine, his name's Gordon, and uh, Gordon's a shoemaker by trade, and uh, Gordon has 16 grandchildren, and, and he actually made these for Zach. How, how cool are they? So um, when I opened those up, I had to hide, 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 fight the tears back a bit, and I've got a lovely photo of my shoes, Zach's shoes, and our hats, okay? And, and I'm gonna embarrass um, Gordon and his lovely wife, Julie, for a moment. Hey, guys, stand up. 16 grandkids. Stand up. Let's, let's give them a big applause. 16 grandkids. Okay? Thank you. Hey, thanks for coming along today, guys, and they weren't expecting that. Um, but Gordon has, has said many, many times is that, you know, part of the role of being a dad is winning your kid's heart, and part of the role of being a grandparent is winning your, your grandchildren's hearts. So... Um, Gordon and uh, Julie have been privileged to part of our journey and you'll hear a bit more about that in a moment. If we had time this morning, I would actually take 10 minutes and say, share with somebody a memory of your grandparents. And I'm sure nearly every one of us would have some fond memory that would be about our grandparents. And I want to share a few memories of my grandparents. And I actually want to talk about my mum's mum and dad. So my grandpa was Edmund Hugo McKenzie, and he was a cabinet maker. And I actually have his name as my middle name, Edmund. And I remember growing up as a kid in his factory. So they had this house, and behind it was this big workshop the size of an aeroplane hangar. And my brothers and I would spend lots of times with our granddad, and it was a fantastic playground. But like granddad, he would give us bits of wood and tell us about the tools. And, and so I grew up around that and had really, really fond memories around that. So, for example, he made um, not just any furniture. He actually made, like, period furniture. So this is actually one of his pieces. And those who understand cabinet making and woodworking, that's Western Red Cedar, hand-carved. And then my grandmother did the tapestry. And so this is one of my prized pieces. We have a stool that they made for Nerily and I as a Christmas gift. And so fond, fond memories of that. When I was in my last year at Teachers College training to be a manual arts teacher, I decided as a project that I'd make a mirror. And I made a full-length dress mirror. And I went to Grandpa, and there's a picture coming up of it, and I said, can you help me do this project? And so this is a, a carved around the edges and it's got carving up the top and the two bits at the top. He said, sure, son, I'll show you how to do that. So with these chisels and stuff, bang, 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 15 minutes, it's all done. He said, your turn. An hour and 15 minutes later, I had something looking similar, but not the same quality. But, you know, precious memories of hanging out with him. In 1980, Nerily was doing her early childhood training and they had to do... Uh, something that was not related to the field. So some people did macrame, some made coffee tables. Nerily said, can we go to Grandpa and ask him if we could do something? And he said, sure, how about we turn up a bowl on the wood lathe? So this little bowl, Nerily turned up, it's out of Western Red Cedar, she turned it up on the lathe. It's not lacquer finished, it's actually a, a wax finish to keep it natural. And so when she turned up to her college, 
with her little bowl and everybody's coming in with their big projects and she's got the process report and she thinks that's not much, but she actually topped the class. How cool is that? So fantastic little memory. Another memory that I have from my grandma, and you might think an empty container, we grew up Lutheran. So when we celebrated Christmas, it was on Christmas Eve, and our family ritual was that we'd go to all our uncles and aunts, and we'd do this progression, and then we'd go to church, and then we'd go back to my grandma and grandpa's place, and we'd feast, literally feast. And there was stuff that was only once a year stuff. And then we'd do the gifts, and then what came out, and everybody would wait for this little container that's had your name on it, which had Rocky Road made from scratch. And she did it for right up until her 90s. And she had a very large extended family. When she passed away at 94, Nerily and I decided we'd take it over. And so every Christmas now, we make Rocky Road for our family members uh, from scratch in honouring my, my grandma, Lila McKenzie. On the other side of the family, I don't have too many warm memories. My uh, grandfather, and we knew him as grandfather, was a, a, quite an ill man, um, and I didn't really get to know him much at all. And my nana, she was a very difficult lady at times. I, I swear if you dropped her back in Germany, she would have fitted in really well. Um, but the good thing is that she mellowed as she got older. And, but I loved my nana. She was my nana, but she was very different to my grandma. And so I've got one memory coming up with a picture coming up on the screen here, and I'll put the context. So in, my, in the 70s, when I was a teen, you know, it was status quo, rock and roll, long hair. And so my brothers and I had long hair, shoulder length down to the middle of our back, and my, my nana would give me one of these every birthday and every Christmas. Now, anybody know what it is? A hair-cutting comb. She hated my long hair, so she would give me this device to encourage me to cut my hair to make her happy. Um, I had to go looking hard. I was trying to buy one, but all I could find was pictures because I certainly didn't keep any. Now, there's a big difference between those memories, a huge difference. With my grandma and my grandpa, it's very relational. And in that relationship, I knew I was loved, I knew I was cared for, cared about, and I was accepted. Even when I did stuff wrong, and my grandpa would have to discipline me, I never doubted that he loved me, because it came out of a relationship. With my nana and my grandfather, it was a very positional, transactional, wasn't relational. So it was very much around, do these things, behave this way, keep Nana happy. And the implicit message in that was that I wasn't good enough. If I had long hair, I wasn't good enough. If I wore modern clothes, I wasn't good enough. The point I want to make about this is as grandparents and as parents, in our interactions with our kids and our grandkids, we paint a picture of God. And we can paint a picture of God being a relational God, or we can paint a picture of God being positional and transactional. And one of the hardest things for me growing up was taking some of those messages off God's face and allowing God just to be God, 
and a God of relationship rather than a God of transaction or position. As I was thinking and preparing, it took me to a well-known parable that we all probably know in Luke 15, verses 11 to 32. So if you've got your Bible there, it will be on the screen. I'm going to read the parable. It's the parable of the lost son. It's one of three parables in a section. And we sang about, you know, leaving the 99 to pursue me. And this is in the same context. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. A younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out as a citizen of that country, and he was sent out to the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, I've got a friend who's Jewish, and, and I've been understanding this whole thing around pigs and Jews, this whole thing around kosher. So we do a fishing trip to Fraser Island, and uh, my friend, he took with him another friend of mine, who I call my Aussie fishing mate. His name's Ching Ming Tan. All right? He's from Malaysia. And if you ring his phone and get his answering service in an Asian accent, you'll get, g'day, mate. He's, he considers himself Australian. And if you've ever been to Malaysia like I have, is that on Friday, what happens is, is that the Muslims go to the, the mosque on Friday and the Christians go out and eat pork at Chinese restaurants. It's quite a paradox. Now, being a Gentile, I like my pork, I like bacon, and, and I agree with Jason, if you've got a problem with bacon, you're missing out. You know, nothing like a good bit of pork crackling. It's just fantastic. So Ching Ming bought some stuff because Mao's camper trailer is kosher. And so Ching Ming came down to me and he said, can I put some stuff in your fridge? Because I can't put it in his fridge. And so he had some ham, he had non-kosher cheese, and I even discovered that there's actually kosher and non-kosher wine. And all this stuff was vacuum sealed, couldn't contaminate anything, but he wasn't allowed to put it in the kosher fridge or the kosher kitchen. So instead he came down and put it in mine. So understand the context of how demoralising it is for this Jewish kid to actually go and feed pigs. That's the lowest of the low. It's very important that we understand that. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say, dad, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. How about you employ me as one of your servants? So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, he's a dignified, noble man, again in Jewish culture, sees his son as a distance, and he does a bolter. 
Now, dignified Jewish man wouldn't have done that because what would the neighbours think? What they may say to the synagogue or to the rabbis. But this guy is so in love and desperate for connection with his son, he just burns rubber down the driveway to get to him. And when he gets there and kisses his son, his son says, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the dad goes, shh, 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 shh. And he said, servants, quick, bring out a robe, my best robe for him. Put it on him. Put a ring on his fingers. Put sandal on his feet. Bring the fat calf and kill it. And let's have a celebration for this son of mine was dead. He's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Imagine this dignified man who was a wealthy man whose son now comes walking through the village smelling of pig, disheveled. How much shame would be for him as he walks through his community? And yet his father bolts down and gives him a robe and sandals and a ring because he is not going to shame his son in spite of the fact that he stinks of pig. I have some friends who served as missionaries in parts of Muslim communities and if they've been here, they have to stop eating pork products for three months because the people can smell it. And this father doesn't shame his son and he doesn't want his son to be shamed because of love. Because of love. What the parable teaches us is that first of all, it's a parable to show us the father heart of God. That just like that father who was waiting, longing, hoping, God is a God who waits and hopes and longs. Another aspect of the parable that I want to highlight is that love and pain are inseparable. I say to my counselling students all the time is that if you think of a pendulum, love, all those lovely, nice feelings, pain. And if you love out here, you're going to experience pain out here. And there's no greater picture of this than the cross. I'm going to say it a little later. And I'm going to say it a few times. The place where love and sorrow flowed mingled down. Love and pain are inseparable. C.S. Lewis wrote this about love. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. Love 
and pain are inseparable. And as parents and as grandparents, if we choose to love, we have to be prepared often for a rough road of pain. The third point that I want to highlight from this comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And most people know that. You've been to a wedding where they talk about love is, love is. And at the end it says, the greatest of these is faith, hope and love. But the greatest is love. And we see this father embrace love, faith and hope. And he combines it with grace which enables him to sit with the pain and loss of his son without becoming bitter, broken, resentful and messed up. And he does it one day at a time. Earlier this year, Jason, in Expect More series, he said this, and it's written on a chalkboard in our kitchen. So nearly has got a chalkboard that's like a butterfly with four wings and on the left hand side as you look at it is this quote from Jason and Jason said this all the promises of God are true in relationship with God let me say that again all the promises of God are true in relationship with God being relational costs the Bible starts in Genesis 1 and it's all about relationship. But in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 is that God makes a perfect world with perfect kids. He's a perfect parent and his kids screw it up. Think about that for a moment. A perfect God, a perfect parent, perfect kids, perfect world and they messed up. And one of the things that I... I really detest is how often in our churches we judge parents by their kids. And if we're going to do that, then we should judge God because right at the beginning, he must have been a failure because his kids messed up. But it's not true. He gave his kids a free will because of love, knowing that pain would actually follow. Zach coming into our lives has been a, such a joy and a delight for us. But there's more to the story. And Nerily and I haven't talked a lot about this story publicly. Our oldest daughter, Kate, is married. And Katie has been estranged from us for five years. We have a, two other grandchildren. Our first grandchild is Ava, who is three. Our second grandchild is Malachi, who is six months older than Zach. We've not seen them. We don't have a photo of them. We have no contact. In fact, any attempt to make contact, letters, cards, gifts are returned. They're sent back to us. If I had photos, I'd show you. Early this year with the Expect More series, I think it might have been the second or third message, I walked into this very church and I saw the prayer wall over here set up for that message. And I've got to tell you, from the moment I set eyes on that wall, I was undone. I was struggling the whole service. My heart was aching. 
I was challenged to expect more from God in the context of my relationship that is broken between my daughter and no contact with my two grandchildren. And Nerali and I struggled through the service and at the end of the service we came down for prayer. I said to Nerali, let's go for prayer. And it was a really rich time for us. But it was a painful time and every day is a painful day. I know that there are many of you here as parents and grandparents also have pain because of your relationship. Nerali and I scanned the unanswered prayers, there's still the prayer requests and we saw lots of prayer requests there from grandparents who have broken relationships with their kids or grandkids due to drugs or a whole range of things. So I know that Nerali and I are not alone in this church family, that there's a lot of people hurting. But I want us to be able to hold on to that the hurt and the love go hand in hand. And we sang earlier, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that pursues me, that pursues my daughter, that pursues my grandchildren. So how do we demonstrate love and pain when there's separation and brokenness and hurt? Because being relational costs. If you don't want to pay a cost, be positional. Be transactional. Don't get close. But if you're going to be relational, it will cost. And when the cost hits, what can we do? And I've got a few tips here, some practical things. One, be like the loving father. Pray and wait. And that's not an easy thing for me to do. Nerily and I have learnt to celebrate the good things that we have. One of the things that can happen is that we can get so caught up and wrapped up in our pain that we lose sight of the blessings that we've got. And we want to balance that out. We want to be able to go, our pain is real, but we want to celebrate what God has given us. That's why we celebrate Zachariah so much. That's why I asked for him to be here today so I could celebrate him in my home congregation. So learning to celebrate what God has given us. We need to learn to cry and talk. Nerily and I do this lots. We cry lots. We talk lots. We talk with people that we trust who are close to us. We let some people into our pain who can actually not give us short or you know, simple answers, but that will just cry with us and pray with us. So learn to cry, learn to talk. My next tip is learn to hold on to Jesus with tenacity. As I was preparing for today, a hymn that we're going to close with was on my mind, and particularly one phrase just played over and over in my mind. The place where love and sorrow flowed mingled down. It is the cross that I see love and pain played out in a way that I, beyond my understanding, but I can grab hold of that and go, God gets this. And I love in the movie, The Passion, is that it's almost like when the rain starts, there's one 
droplet like a teardrop from heaven. God cries at our pain too. And we need to hold on to Jesus and connect with the Father. A couple of practical things that we do. I'm uh, a pretty determined, strong sort of a person. And so if there's something to be fixed, let me fix it. And after trying to fix stuff and getting terrible emails and stuff returned, is that nearly had a really clear word from the Lord. It was Exodus 14, 14. And the context was the Israelites conquering the promised land. And as they were starting to get active, I really relate to this because I'd be out the front leading the charge and saying, come on, let's take this on. Let's kick some butt. And in Exodus 14, 14, it says, the Lord will fight for you. All you need to do is be silent and still. And on that board is that, that verse is on that board. All I need to do is be still and silent. Now that's really hard for me. It's been five years. It's five years. And I take encouragement out of the parable. I take encouragement out of, out of reading the scriptures and out of God of what his waiting and his timing can be. Another practical thing that we've done is that we've planned for the future. Like the father sitting waiting for that son to return, we're planned for the future. Not only do we pray for it each day, do we pray to see our daughter and our two grandkids, but we're actually planning for that. So we have two boxes, about shoe socks size boxes at home. One of those boxes is for Katie. All the return cards, the letters that we've written that we've not sent are in that box. And there's a box for the grandkids. And there's letters and cards in that box. For when the day that they come home, I can go and we can sit down and say, we loved you. Even though you were disconnected from us, we loved you. Here's the evidence. As part of planning for the future is that we also hold on to a tradition. Nearly right from when Kate was born, started a tradition that of every Christmas she'd buy a, a decoration to go on the tree that was their decoration and narrowly and I have continued that tradition with our grandkids so this year's Christmas decoration for Ava is the letter A and when she turn, returns I'll be able to say to her this was your Christmas decoration from your third Christmas you didn't celebrate it with us but you're in our hearts, you're in our minds, you're in our prayers. And I'll show her the one from her second Christmas and her first Christmas and whatever Christmases go on, they'll be on that tree. For Malachi, this will be his second Christmas one and M. This year we chose letters. Sometimes it's just a normal little decoration, something special. And for Zach, this is his second Christmas, a little Z. And we're looking forward to Christmas with him because he'll be one. And you know what one-year-olds are like with paper and wrapping and decorations. And just like his cousins, his decorations on the tree. So plan for the future in a way that honours love, but also honours the pain. Is it easy? No. 
I cannot stand here today and say this is an easy journey. This is a really hard, painful journey. Two weeks ago in the Grace series, Jason stood up here and Jason said this. He said, grace brings inner peace because you know God's got this. Merrily and I spent a week discussing that one phrase, that God's got this. And when it hurts, it's hard to hold on to that. But God's got it. And I hold on to that tenaciously. I have two challenges this morning. The first challenge is, some of you sitting here may only understand God as a positional God or a transactional God and you've never really understood that God's a God of relationship that loves you and me so much that He's done the pain. He watched His own Son be tortured and crucified because He loves you and He loves me. And maybe for some of you today, it's a day to go. Today, I'm going to move from a positional, transactional relationship with God to a relational relationship. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray in a moment. But if God is laying on your heart to make a move from a positional relationship to a a transactional relationship to being in real relationship, I just want you to put your hand up. Just declare to the unseen world, that's me today. That's me. I'm going to be in relationship with God. If God's laying that on your heart, let me pray. Lord, thank you that you love us so much. And that the greatest story of history is the story of your love doing the pain to rescue me. And Lord, for those of us that need to make that shift, speak to us about that. Challenge us and grow us. Help us to see that love and pain go hand in hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In a moment, the worship team's going to lead us in a wonderful hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And in it is those words, where love and sorrow flowed mingled down. Some of the prayer team are going to come out the front. And my second challenge is, if you're a hurting grandparent or a hurting parent like Nerily and I, I'm going to challenge you to get up on your feet and come down and receive prayer. That Sunday that we were down here and Nerily and I got prayer was so profound in our lives because we knew we weren't alone, that we had a church family that loves us and will carry the burden with us. So I'm going to pray. And if you need prayer, I'm going to ask you to come up, come straight down now. The prep ministry team will come. I'm going to pray. And you come out if you need prayer. If in some way there is pain attached to love in your life with your grandkids or kids, now's the time to seek prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, 
When I survey the wondrous cross, I'm reminded of you as a parent, as a grandparent, as a great-grandparent. And you know what it's like when our hearts are wrung out and broken. You know what it's like when we're lost for words to describe the pain or even those days when we get to the point where I'm just sick of talking about it. I wish it was over. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters today and I want to join with them and I want to say it's okay to hurt and we can hurt together and we can pray together and we can hold on to faith, hope and love and that I will long with you as you long with me for the return of those relationships. Speak to our hearts and minister to us this morning. I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and everybody who walks through our doors is welcome. If you'd like to connect with us, please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au to find out more.